Welcome to Wisdom of Women, the podcast to bring you insights of successful women leaders. I'm your host, Sherry Hilton. And whether you're a working professional looking to level up, an aspiring entrepreneur, or simply curious about the stories of women who are making a difference, this podcast is for you. Our guests come from diverse backgrounds and industries, but they all share one thing in common. They've overcome challenges and achieved success through hard work, determination, and a willingness to take risks. They will tell their personal journeys, the lessons they've learned along the way, and the wisdom they've gained. Join me each week as we dive into the experiences and perspectives of extraordinary women and discover the inspiration and motivation you need to achieve your own goals. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wisdom of Women. Today, my guest, Julia Atala, is an executive coach in leadership and a development advisor. And she is here today to talk to us about obstacles that get in the way of confidence. Julia, how are you today? I'm doing great. It's good to see you. Thanks good for to having see me. You. So let's start off. I would love to know your definition of confidence. Yeah, gosh. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things that you know when you see it or you know it when you feel it. Sometimes it helps to have some, some words for it. I think it's an awareness of your powers and your strengths. It's a belief in yourself and your abilities. And it's a conviction that you can meet life's challenges right? Awareness, belief, and conviction. And I have such an amazing story. My daughter, um, so I speak on confidence a lot. And a couple months back, I was preparing for um, a workshop with a group of amazing women. And my daughter came in and she was like, mom, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm working on a presentation on confidence. And she's like, oh, I know what confidence is. Do you need some help? My daughter's 10, by the way. <laughs> Um, and I was like, sure, I'd love your help. Tell me a little more about it. And she's like, well, you know, confidence is something you build up just by trying new things. And I thought, oh my goodness, like that's, so I love cool. that. Um, so that really resonated with me, right? Because it's, we, we have enough confidence to try something new and build a new confidence, which then gives us a little more confidence to try something new, which gives us a little more confidence. And it's this wonderful confidence, confidence loop. Which and is the a, fact that she's 10, 10 and knew that and picked up on it, I'm sure she got it from watching you. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't know if that's the case. Maybe. Um, I think it's just a lot of it's just ingrained in her. You know, she came to me like a year ago and she said, Mom, I, I'm, I'm, I, I kind of have stage fright and I, I want to be able to sing on stage. So she looked, did some research on the, on the interwebs. And she found a local theater um, group that does singing solo lessons. And, you know, three months later, she was performing solos on stage. And then she wrote her own song and did that at her end of school year, um, sort of end of school year show, which was kind of fun. Wow. So she, I learn a ton from her every single day. Wow. Now, Julia, you were in the corporate world for 26 years. Yeah. Uh, U.S. Air Force and Microsoft. You did marketing and you helped companies find their brand. Mm -hmm. And now you're helping executives and, and, and people mm -hmm. um, learn their voice and 
confidence and overcoming obstacles and their leadership abilities. How did you get from point A to point B? And where where does that passion come from? Because clearly it resonates with your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, clearly. I'm working on my son too. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because I spent so many years in marketing and, um, you know, a big part of what I would do every single day is think, you know, sit down, think about the customer, think about the product um, or the, the tool or the technology that we were going to be marketing. And a big part of what we did was take a step back and say, what is the other person, you know, the customer, what does the customer need and what do we have to offer? And then you build that out, right? You build the voice for that brand, whether it's a company brand or a product brand. And then you consistently repeat it over and over and over again, right? Because So that everybody, yourself included, everyone believes it. They hear it. They believe it. And over the course of 26 years, I realized that the thing that was really giving me joy and fulfillment was less about marketing of a product or a company and really more about helping women and and employees like people around me my peers my colleagues my employees really learn their own stories like how do i tell my own story with confidence so that in those moments when i'm taking on something new in those moments where i'm taking on something really hard i don't forget that i have this firm grounding in some amazing abilities um, just like a brand. It's just like a brand. Yeah. It, it makes me think about women and the podcast itself, that we all have those lessons and the wisdom that we've grown upon over the years of our lives, either through obstacles and failures and the lessons that we've learned and how did we grow from that and things that we've, the tools that we've learned along the way that's built upon each other to get where we are today. And it's offering those stories and those lessons to the women who are coming behind us or even next to us. So that way they don't have to hit those same hurdles and, and roadblocks that we had to. And I can tell you over the years, even myself, I've had so many limiting beliefs and those voices in your head of, you know, who am I or who cares or who wants to listen. Tell me a little bit about some of those obstacles that you find women, and, and I'm sure men too, but women face in gaining that confidence level. Yeah. So um, I'd say the biggest obstacles are the, the inner critic voices and the self-limiting beliefs for sure. Right. And most of them are born from not from the situation that you're in right now, but from a situation that you had when you were four or seven or 14. Right. It was it was your one of your parents who was very strict about something or or very clear about you know roles and responsibilities i'll give you a perfect example i grew up in um, southern virginia and in a very southern family and where you did not question authority like you didn't question authority like that was just a thing that i learned and you can imagine for the first 10 years of my career, I got a lot of feedback, certainly at Microsoft, that I needed to be more assertive. I needed to speak up more in meetings. I needed to push back on 
you know, executives when they had a point of view that I disagreed with. And in my head, it was a real battle because I was taught that you don't question authority. And it wasn't until I had an epiphany one day where I was like, oh, that's what's holding me back. That's one limiting belief that I didn't even realize was a limiting that first of all, I didn't even realize it was a belief that other people didn't have because everybody doesn't question authority, right? No. Um, So recognizing the belief, recognizing that it was no longer serving me in that situation um, and then figuring out what I wanted to do with it. That's just one example. Um, You know, another great example, I coach a lot of women. Um, I coach women and men, but I coach a lot of women. And one woman in particular, she is a rising star at, at a major tech company. And um, she's been promoted, I think, three times over the last year and a half. <laughs> and wow. um, yeah, like super uh, hyper achieving, amazing woman. And um, she literally said to me, well, they only offered it to me because they didn't have any other any other candidates. And I reminded her that it wasn't that they didn't have any other candidates. It's that they didn't seek any other candidates. They came to her specifically wanting her to take on this role, wanting her to take on this additional responsibility. Um, It wasn't a let's go see who's out there because they already had the perfect candidate. Um, And, you know, it's those who am I to speak up? Who am I to take on this role? so many uh, limiting beliefs that get in the way. And those are just thoughts and stories that you tell yourself that don't support you living into your authentic self. Um, They impact the choices you make. They become a filter by which you make decisions both in the moment, but also long-term decisions and choices. Yeah, we hear the, the term limiting beliefs and we hear the term, you know, inner critic and imposter syndrome. Is there a difference between them or are they all pretty much the same? I mean, they're all so intertwined um, that, you know, you have a set of beliefs that typically contribute to inner thoughts that you have, right? And those inner thoughts typically then get in the way of you feeling like you belong or you they, they make you feel like you're an imposter. So it's sort of like a cycle, right? They're all really related. Here's an, here's an interesting example. Um, when you start a new role or you get promoted into a new role and you're leading a new team, whichever, let's just go with starting a new role. You, you come in with this real excitement, right? You're at the top, you're at the peak. You're like, oh my gosh, I've got this, you know, I, I know what I need to do. And then you get uh, a couple weeks, maybe a couple of months into the role. And you're like, huh, there's a lot more to this than I thought there was. <laughs> And then you get, let's say, three months into roll. You're, you're, you're 90 days in and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to get this. What have I gotten myself into? And when you hit that valley, that's when the imposter syndrome tends to kick in. Now, here's a really interesting tidbit, an interesting fact. Women tend to spend a little more time in that valley than men do. And that's because when men hit the valley, they tend to blame external factors. They tend to look at external motivators, external things that impacted it. So, for example, uh, let's say uh, uh, a man failed a test. He would say, oh, the test was unfair or my teacher never liked me anyway. Women tend to make it internal. I didn't study hard enough. I 
must not have read the right chapter. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. So we spend more time down here because we make it about ourselves. And, um, and that's where those limiting beliefs come in, right? Because that your inner critic voice is almost always in first person. I'm not good enough. I didn't study hard enough, right? And so one of the great tools for uh, quieting that inner critic voice is to take the I out of the inner critic and really, um, you can name it. Um, mine is named Monica Geller from Friends because mine is a, a hyper perfectionist. Um, so when I start to hear those thoughts come in, I might pause for a moment and say, oh, Monica, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> I knew you were going to come up because I'm stepping into something bigger. And that's when you usually show up. You usually show up and say, you know, you're going to step into this big thing. Well, it's not good enough. You're not doing good enough. Um, and so I name it. Uh, or I just say my inner critic thinks that I'm not good enough. So really taking the personalization out of it. So you're confirming, and I want all of our listeners to hear this, that both men and women hear those inner critic voices and have imposter syndrome because there's a lot of women out there that feel that men have more confidence and men typically, you know, get their roles or start the businesses and what have you because they don't have those attributes, right? They don't, they don't hear those self-limiting beliefs, but you're in fact saying you've worked with men, you've coached men. And yes, as a matter of fact, we both, both genders do. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is a non, it is a non, it is both genders, right? Everybody faces those imposter thoughts. It's what we do with them um, that, that differentiates, right? Like some, and, and even I would say there are some women who have the imposter thoughts or have inner critic voices and still are able to act confidently, right? And it's because um, in that moment, they are able to quiet the inner critic voice, right? And so, um, you know, I think because men have more of that external um, bent about them where, oh, well, it's not about me, it's about them, that helps them move through the inner critic voices faster. Yeah, I was reading that, you know, when you're applying for a job, men will look at it and if they hit 50% of some of the attributes on it, they go ahead and apply because they're like, oh, I'll figure it out. And women look at it and if they're not ticking all of the boxes, they feel that they're not good enough. Does that come from that same limiting belief mentality? Yeah, I mean, I would say there's probably a number of limiting beliefs that that comes to. One is the the belief that we are, we have to be a good student, right? And as as women and as girls, when we're in school, if you just look across the decades, again, I don't want to overgeneralize because there are men and boys that are this way and girls and women who are the other way, right? But right. generally speaking, you have girls who are good listeners in class. You have girls who will ask the teacher what they can do for extra credit. You have girls who are really thinking about the the impact of their behavior on the classroom, right? They're, they're aware of all of these things. And so we learn good student habits very early in life very early in life. And it's it's reinforced because the teacher then says, here are the five things you need to do to get an A. And we do those five things so that we get an A. 
And then we morph ourselves for the teacher the next year because that teacher has five different things that they want us to do to get an A. And so when we enter the work world, there is no teacher telling you these are the five things you need to do to get an A because an A is kind of subjective. And so we struggle a bit with the, well, if I don't check all, because in school, if I, you know, my senior year in high school, I would have checked all the boxes and gotten an A. Um, and in this case, if we don't check all the boxes, we think, oh, I'm a C. And therefore, yeah. I'm not the perfect candidate or I'm not the right candidate for the role. So what are some tools for women to gain confidence and help um, build upon their confidence so that they are perceived differently and feel like they're capable? Well, I definitely think that first tool we talked about already, which is sort of taking the personalization out of it, depersonalizing the voice, that can help. Um, I think in the moment, being aware that it is a voice and it is a critic, an inner critic voice can be like, that's step one. Uh, because all too often we hear the voice and we think it's our voice of wisdom that's telling us. But generally speaking, your voice of wisdom will not be mean. It will not be harsh. It will not be black and white. And so those are good indicators that it's an inner critic voice and not a voice of wisdom. So notice it, be aware of it. Um, notice when it shows up, what's the situation. That's sort of tool number one. Once you notice it, then take a moment to name it. What is the limiting belief that it's based on? What is it trying to protect me from? Um, and is that still serving me? Or do I want to do something different with it? If it's not still serving you, then think about how you want to reframe it, right? From I was the only candidate to I was the only candidate they wanted, right? Small little reframes can really help with breaking out of that inner critic voice. I will just underscore again, awareness is the very first and most important tool. Now you mentioned, what is it protecting me from? So are we typically hearing those limiting beliefs and that inner critic because we're protecting our feelings and maybe what others think of us and fear of failure? Like, do is that part of that protection piece? Absolutely. Your inner critic voices and your self-limiting beliefs tend to focus on protecting you from, it's a safety instinct. And when you're seven, your safety instinct says, hey, don't jump off the third step up because you might fall and hurt yourself. But when you're 20 and your legs are longer, jumping off that third step probably isn't going to hurt you, right? And so yeah. then you have to decide, is my safety instinct still protect, is it still serving me in the way that I want it to? Certainly it is a fear. It is based on a fear. I'm not good enough. I'm going to look stupid. What if I say something that doesn't make sense? Um, it is all rooted in generally what people think of us, right? What if I fail? What if I don't do a good job? If you peel back that onion, the what if I fail onion, it generally is that you're worried about, well, what will other people think? And do you have people look at the opposite of the 
what if I fail versus what if you succeed and some of the possibilities? Like is that first off is acknowledging it, right? And then once you acknowledge it, how how do you work through turning it around so that it it doesn't interfere and impact with your day-to-day consistently? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point that you make. And um, I might I might add to what you said. So there's the fear of failure, but there's also the fear of success. What if I'm successful? If I'm successful, then I won't be a good mom. If I'm successful, then I'll work long hours and I won't have time for my spouse or partner. Right. And so there's almost um, there's this push and this pull that's keeping us both playing, playing small and afraid to play big um, at the same time. And so sometimes the reframe is, you know, the reframe, the power of the reframe is about figuring out what is the piece in there that's holding you back. Um, If you are really worried about if you're more worried about succeeding than you are about failing, then that's an important distinction because you want your reframe to be about quieting the piece that's actually getting in the way. Um, And that requires requires a bit of self-reflection. It requires a bit of talking with a friend or colleague and being willing to be a little vulnerable and to talk about to talk about it. And oftentimes just taking what's in your head and putting it on the table in front of you between you and a friend, you and a colleague, you and a coach, you and a manager, whatever can really help um, get perspective on what it is, because they're going to be listening for things that you might not hear yourself because you're embedded in it. It's, it's all in your brain. Yeah. I think about when you're around a certain group of friends or you're in an area all your life or a big portion of your life and you want to step out and do something different and that group looks at you of, well, who are you? Who do you think you are? Right? And I tell my girls, you know, you have friends today that may not be your friends 10, 15, 20 years from now because some people cross your path for a reason and a, a lesson or a blessing or for that period of time and that you either move on and you shift friend groups or sometimes you just outgrow friends because of interests, right? Mm-hmm. As you as you grow and you age, you have different interests than I even had 10, five years ago for that matter. Um, And some of that I think is not necessarily the fear of success, but the fear of losing that sense of normalcy and safety and that comfort zone as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so much wrapped up in that example that you used, Um, you know, Oftentimes, I love the word outgrow. It's one of my favorite words. My daughter's school, um, at the end of fifth grade, they do an outgrowing ceremony, not a graduation. Oh, I like that. And I love that language um, that you used because, first of all, it it takes courage to outgrow. Um, It's a very active thing that you're doing. And it's also a recognition that you have... um, You've achieved what you needed to and wanted to achieve in the space that you're in, and you're ready for that next thing, right? 
when a when a plant outgrows a pot, it's so that you can have it thrive in something bigger. And right, you're transferring it from the small pot to the large pot. And that's what we do as humans as well. And it takes um, it takes courage to recognize that in yourself, that you have outgrown your situation and that you're ready to move on to something new, especially if in that example you used, if you're feeling pressure from your friends who want to keep you in the, the, the smaller pot. I love that. Like I've never, like the plant everybody can relate to. Yeah. I, I love that analogy. And I, I, you know, I've just known it as outgrowing, but you're absolutely right. You know, in, in my book, Strong Moms, Stronger Daughters, I talk about laying low in the status quo because you get to a point where you're not growing and, as you mentioned, thriving. And that's what brings the joy to life yeah. is when you feel like you're contributing and you feel like you're thriving and there's a purpose and there, it brings you joy because you're growing and you're, you're tackling new things. And yeah, it's scary and there's fears in there and there's voices, but if you can take some of the tools to just do it anyway, because mm -hmm. as your daughter mentioned, repetition creates the confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved what, I loved what you just said too, because it reminded me that having a growth mindset is also a great tool to quiet those inner critic voices to really approach everything you do with, what am I intended to learn here? You know, let's say I fail. Let's say I, you know, don't get the job I'm putting my neck out there for. Let's say I don't do X or Y. What will I learn? Or what do I want to learn? And even just that shift in mindset can sometimes help you say, oh, well, it's not really that risky anymore because I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to learn. Yeah. And the learning is always the good part because if you've decided that worst case, I'm going to learn X, Y, Z, then it's a building block to go to where you're truly meant to be or the next role or task or what have you. Yeah. It, it's that learning piece. I like that. Yeah. So we're going to name our inner critic. Yeah. Namer. And then we're going to look for why is he or she, whatever we name it, showing mm -hmm. up? Yep. What is the safety instinct? What is the belief that it's based off of? Yep. Okay. And then we get quiet to why, why, why are we still struggling with that safety piece? Mm -hmm. um, and is there a lesson that we can learn even if we move forward with it? That's right. Is there something we can learn? Um, is there a way for me to depersonalize it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing I would add to that, as you're reflecting, think back to all of the times that you have survived the thing that you're about to embark on or something similar to it, right? Everyone has started a new job at some point. So taking on this next new job is just repetition, right? I, I've accepted 
and I accepted a new job two years ago and five years before that and 10 years before that. So I know, I know how to take on a new job. Yeah. And really start to think about what do I do when I take on a new job? How do I reflect on those things as successes and, you know, kind of break down the success that I've had in the past? What helped me be successful onboarding in a new job in the past? Oh, well, I did, you know, I spent some time to research the product. I did this, I did this, and I did this. And I also had great support from my manager and I had introductions and I had this. So it also not only helps you figure out what you do and what you bring and the strengths that you already come in with, it helps you create that short list of things that you need from other people to be successful in this new thing. Yeah, it's and almost like calming your nerves right? Like where's the fear coming from and what can I do to minimize it or offset it with things that make me feel prepared or confident or normalcy? Yeah. Preparation is probably one of the biggest things I hear from women. And I think a lot of it goes back to that good student, the good student roots, right? Where, you know, if I'm prepared, then I will do well. And there's, there's a sweet spot of preparation that we all can find. And that sweet spot of preparation looks different depending on what you're doing. But coming in with a new job, if you think about how do I want to prepare for my new job and have a little mini plan for yourself. And this doesn't mean writing a 10 page, you know, single spaced, blah, 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 right? Like don't overthink it. What are the things that I know I'm going to bring that are going to help me be successful? And what are the two or three or four things that I think I need from other people in order to be successful? And then the knowing what you bring to the table gives you the confidence to ask for help for those things where you need it. Yeah. Imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. How is that different than inner critic? Um, well, our, uh, I think the inner... Our inner critic voices are um, about a lot of different things, right? They're not always about being an imposter. I think an imposter is one of the ways that your inner critic voices manifests itself, right? So um, they're, it's, they're so related. And in fact, um, at some point, I read an article, I wish I could remember which article it was, that talked about how we need to stop calling it imposter syndrome and start calling it imposter thoughts. Because it's not an illness. It's not a, you know, it's not a, a medical thing. It, it's thoughts that we're having in our brain that are saying we don't fit or we don't belong. And not all inner critic voices are about that, right? There's inner critic voices that are about a whole bunch of different things. And so I think there's a whole subsection of them that are about imposter thoughts. So imposter is just a subset of that inner critic, like a type of a type of voice that we hear. Yeah, a type of voice that we hear and a very common type of voice that we hear. I think it's the most common that we often hear of. Um, so, so common that it's been named. Yeah. Yeah. What you... You, I was reading on your LinkedIn, and I'm going to read a statement, um, and I want you to just dive into it a little bit. Okay. Um, you say, I believe who we are is how we lead. Mm -hmm. 
to be the best leader you can be, it starts with knowing and being the best version of yourself. How do we do that? Well, let me start by attributing the who we are is how we lead quote to Brene, to Brene Brown. So okay. she said that in one of her books. I can't remember which one, but it has always stuck with me. I think it was from Dare to Lead. Um, and as I, I mean, even on my 26 year journey, um, what I found was this, um, so at, when I was at Microsoft, we had a typical sort of one of those, uh, red, yellow, green, blue personality, um, tests that you yeah. would take. And I was, um, a green generally speaking. And green means um, mentor, it means coach. It, it's very sort of touchy-feely. Um, most executives and leaders at Microsoft at the time, and I've been gone for a few years now, but at the time, most were reds and blues. Reds are be brief, be bright, be gone. Um, very directive, um, sort of in the type A nomenclature-ish. Um, blues are very analytical, data focused, right? And so the percentage of people at the, at the time that I took that last assessment um, at, uh, at the company, I think we were, greens were probably less than 5% of the people at the company who'd taken it. So talk about an imposter, right? I was a green and a sea of blue and red. And, you know, early in my career, as I moved into more and more leadership roles, I was given lots of feedback about how I needed to be more this and more that, which, by the way, was more red and more blue. And so eventually, after, I gosh, probably 10 years of the company, maybe 12 years of the company, I woke up one morning and I was like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm I'm coming to work every single day and I'm leading in a way that does not feel authentic to me. And when I bring my authentic self, you know, the green, the caring, the, the mentoring, it felt out of place. And it certainly at the time was not, um, it was not acknowledged, right, as a way of leading. Now, the company has been on a whole cultural transformation over the last, you know, five to seven years um, where more and more of that is being integrated into the culture. But at the time, you know, I would wake up every morning and, 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 and basically put on a giant mask. I'd put on a mask. I'd go in. I would lead the way that I was told I was supposed to lead. And then I would come home and I'd be exhausted. And so, um, you know, gosh, 2015, 2016, it was somewhere around that time when I realized I, I got to just come in and be myself. And if that means I cannot be successful here, that's okay. I will go somewhere else. And just that um, awareness, that awakening in myself actually had such a tremendous positive impact on my, my career because I no longer had the weight of this armor that I was wearing every single day. And, you know, so I, so who we are is how we lead. And if you are coming in and being somebody that you're not, then you're going home exhausted every day. You're probably closer to burnout than you than you are. You're probably not thriving in the way that you could be. You might even be playing smaller than you could because you've, you're creating these imposter thoughts in your head because you're trying to be something that you're not, which is making you feel like you're failing. So does that 
And that is a great story. And it's funny you talk about the colors. I, I took the same test um, mm-hmm. back at my Abbott days when I was at Abbott. And I, looking back, like I, I know where I was. And they say it can change over time if you have a major life change in your life, you know, a death or mm-hmm. a marriage and a move or children, you know, certain things can shift some mm-hmm. of those colors slightly. I was all red and blue like all red and blue um, and very little yellow and green. My yellow and green were almost equal, um, but I was predominantly red and blue. And I think it was just the way I coped in life because I'm a single mom and I was busy and I didn't have time to plan the party and do the feeling thing and check on everybody and and what's going on. And, and right, I was like, let me get my work done because I've got to move on to the next thing. Yeah. So I was very focused and I've always been very detailed. That's just my analytical brain that kicks in. Um, mm-hmm. But my manager at the time was red and then my, my new manager that took over was yellow. He was all yellow. <laughs> and it was funny because in the beginning we clashed a little. And then I, I learned how to, 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 to enjoy his yellow that he brought mm. to our meetings and the conversation because it was, it almost brought me down a little bit from that high intense red that I had. Mm. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. It's funny because I used to call him Sunshine. Um, you know, former, you know, we're still friends. And I talked to him, I'm like, oh, you're that bright yellow sunshine that used to, you know, brighten my day when I was like, you know, hey, you know, let me get X, Y, Z done. And he'd pause and he would have a conversation. And I thought, oh, I don't have time for this. Um, but looking back, it's it was needed, right? Yeah. And it's, um, you were bringing that green and those feelings to an organization when it was it's probably needed and they've probably shifted their culture mm-hmm. a little bit to, to have that because you can't be, and I say it now, I, I know I can say it now because I've, I've grown through that. You can't always be that high intense red and blue forever mm-hmm. because it, it starts to wear on you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the, the part, the, I loved all of that. And I, I particularly loved the part where you said all of them are valuable. All of them are equally valuable, right? You sometimes need a red, you sometimes need someone with blue energy. You sometimes need someone with green energy. Um, sometimes you need all the energies in order for things to work. It's when you're in an environment where one is valued over another that those imposter thoughts start to kick in, right? Just to kind of bring it back to the inner inner critic voice. Sometimes when we see um, a peer or a colleague or a leader who we, you know, who we aspire to be, we can either start to judge ourselves because we aren't doing what they're doing. We aren't showing up in the way that they're showing up, or we can judge them because they're not showing up the way we would show up. And so that recognition of everybody has value to add in their own unique way can really help with calming those those critical voice those critical voices and those imposter thoughts. Yeah. Because I I can't be Sherry. I'm not Sherry. I'm Julia. And 
we can find our way to work really well together. And guess what? The company is going to be stronger. The work that we do is going to be stronger. All of those things are going to be stronger. Um, I'm going to learn and lean into you and you're going to learn and lean into me and we're all going to be better because of it. Yeah, but I love your thought of thinking of it as the shield. And once you took it off and could be your authentic self, that's where that, you know, you weren't tired mentally coming home. Like that's eye-opening for some who go to work every day and do a job, but they're they're trying to be something they're really not. And they're they have those limiting beliefs in their thoughts, or they lack the confidence to go out and do what they truly feel. Yeah. They want to show up as. Right. And like you said, it's it's it could be us limiting ourselves and what we're capable of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Gosh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I think oftentimes our inner critic voices are very, very persuasive. That voice is probably telling us that we really do want to be aggressive and assertive and, or whatever, pick your attributes, right? That's when we have to also sometimes get out of our head and really check in with our hearts right? My, my head is telling me that I need to be X and Y and Z in order to be successful at this thing or successful at this company. Does that feel like who I am? Does that feel like who I want to be? And let's play that out. If I'm more of this, will it help me get to where I want to be in 20 years as a human? Right. And in the business world, and I was guilty of it for many, many, many years in the, in the business world, we spend all of our time in our heads and sometimes just taking that, that's the, the beauty of taking time to reflect, to breathe, to watch the waves, to listen to them really helps you get back into your heart and your yeah. gut. And I, I, in your, in your, LinkedIn description bio, it, it talks about you help leaders pause and zoom out to make decisions. And I think what you're talking about right now is us pausing and zooming out to look at the big picture of how we feel, what's truth, how do we want to live our lives? Because at the end of the day, a job is a job. Our family will always be there. Um, you know, what we do day in and day out for a, a quote unquote job or a living, let's leave it at that. Um, that's how we spend a predominant amount of our time. And do we want to be confident and pursue what makes us thrive and brings us joy and learn techniques to quiet? the beliefs and the imposter syndrome and the thoughts, or do we just keep trudging through our day? Yeah. I think that's huge. Yeah. And uh, I want to, when you use the word quieting the inner critic voices, it reminded me that I want to make sure I remind everyone, your inner critic voices never go away. They're always there. Um, it really is about how do you quiet them? How do you manage them? 
how do you make sure that the person driving the bus is your inner wisdom and not your inner critic, right? So, because they're both there and they're both always there. It's just about how much you're able to quietly manage. I love that. Few questions for you before we wrap up. All right. What are you most proud of? Oh, gosh, so many things. Um, I think uh, right now, so aside from my kids and my marriage, which I'm insanely proud of both um, of those things, I would say I'm really proud of the, the work that I've been doing over the last few years since leaving the corporate world. It was a really big... Um, it was a really big moment to leave after so many years of having sort of that corporate lifestyle. And it's been amazing. Not a day goes by that I um, am not insanely happy with my decision. Um, I love what I do. I look forward to coming to work every morning and I'm really proud of just the amazing women. I've had the opportunity to walk alongside women and men that I've had the opportunity to walk alongside and to help them pause and zoom out. Gosh, I love that. I love that. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Oh, um, I would probably tell myself that it's all going to be okay. That I don't need to stress out so much. I don't need to stress out so much. Good yeah. advice. <laughs> yeah. What brings Julia joy? <sighs> Cooking. I love to cook. I love to create. Actually, I'll just say creating. Anything creative, uh, whether it's cooking or art or um, singing. Like, I just love creating. It's so much fun. It's great. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Any last tidbits, wisdom? Uh, with regards to confidence and overcoming some of those obstacles? Uh, well, I'll leave you with one kind of fun little uh, quote that is, don't believe everything you think. Um, and you can uh, find me on LinkedIn at um, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Julia Atala. And um, if you're interested in learning more, reach out. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks to everybody for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss another episode of Wisdom of Women. Until next week, this is Sherry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to Wisdom of Women. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and gained some valuable insights and inspiration. How to connect with me and our guest today, as well as any links can be found in the show notes. Please share this episode with your friends. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review as it helps us reach more women like you who are seeking to learn from successful women leaders. Stay curious, stay hungry, and always push forward. We'll be back next week with another amazing guest. Until then, keep chasing your dreams and we'll see you next time on Wisdom of Women.